You're listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Eaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hi, folks. Welcome to episode 22 of Standing Before the Mass podcast. My guest for this episode is Captain Breezy Grenier. Captain Breezy served in the U.S. Coast Guard, has degrees in geology and geological oceanography, and minors in marine biology and marine archaeology. In addition to being a licensed captain, she's a scuba instructor, snowboard instructor, sailor, cook, surfer, teacher, lecturer, and world traveler. Some of her travels include the Arctic, the Antarctic, all 50 states, the Marshall Islands, Brazil, Argentina, Australia, all Canadian provinces, Chile, Japan, Russia, Poland, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and Germany, just to name a few. She sailed offshore to Bermuda, and by the time this podcast is published, she will have completed a transatlantic and the fastnet. We have a proper rambling chat about her travels, past expeditions, and plans for future ones, as well as some of the educational models she's created. Those include Scientists Are Superheroes and Echo Elders. Every now and then you meet somebody that really packs a lot into their lives, and Breezy has to be at the top of that list for me. To learn more about her and some of the things we talk about in this podcast, visit her website, breezyseas.com. That's B-R-E-E-Z-Y-S-E-A-S.com. I hope you enjoy. Your name is Breezy, Captain Breezy. You started in the Coast Guard. Yes, after high school, I went into the Coast Guard. Right. And did you just enlist? I did. I've always been infatuated with the water. Mm Mm-hmm. And when I, my parents always said, well, we'll pay for your college if you go in Connecticut. I was like, I want to go to URI or Mm -hmm. somewhere just outside to at least travel a little bit. So I was like, all right, well, I can enlist in the service, serve for my country and have them pay for college. So it was a win-win. Wow. And were you an officer in the Coast Guard or just enlisted? enlisted? Right. And where were you stationed? Where did it take you? I was in Alaska, California. Maine, and then I did TAD in Vermont. What's TAD? A temporary duty. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was a good cook, so All right. I requested. That, what, what was your primary role in the Coast Guard? Was it a cook? Yep. Yeah. Oh, right. And being a cook, you were able to get additional training mm-hmm. since they needed a body. And So you, you get out of the Coast Guard, you take your parents up on that offer, and you go to URI? Yep. And you, you, you study marine biology? I did geology, geological oceanography, and minored in marine biology and underwater archaeology. Wow. Went to school to be a pirate. All right. <laughs> How, have you found a good employment in those fields? or you? For me, I've had a huge problem trying to find full-time employment. I've been constantly told I'm overqualified because my background, because mm-hmm. I've also been working on Block Island for the past 15 or 16 years now. And I've been in the same jobs and same industries mm-hmm. consecutively, so not many people my age had the qualifications, certifications, and the time to back it up. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of found a loophole uh, by taking job contracts. Mm -hmm. And I'm still piecing together all the contracts to turn it into full-time work. But it got to the point where I was spending hours upon hours applying to jobs, getting interviews, and they thought I was in my 50s showing up. Mm. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll just start my own way. I saw pictures on your website. 
on a NOAA ship or were you, was that a research project that you... I did the Okeanos Explorer and Training Program. Uh-huh. So I was on the NOAA ship Okeanos Explorer and we were out in the Marshall Islands to Guam mm-hmm. doing seafloor mapping. Wow. And you've, you've, you've also been to the Arctic and Antarctic, correct? Yep. Wow. And were there pictures of you diving in the Arctic Ocean? Yes. I was diving up there with the Sedna Epic Expedition. Mm. So that was their third preliminary expedition to the Arctic, but my first time joining them. Mm. But currently, that was the fourth time I was above the Arctic Circle. I lose track now. Wow. <laughs> uh, but we're planning on doing a snorkel relay of the Northwest Passage to help climate change awareness. Right. Is that a, a project that people can visit on a website? Is that what, Yes, what is we have uh, sednaepic.com. But the most up-to-date information is on the Facebook Mm -hmm. we'll be posting. Uh, There's another uh, trip we're doing in Norway in November where we'll be diving with um, the orca and humpback whales. I'm hopefully going to be able to go. Uh, My schedule was a little in the air when I found out about it, but a bunch of the women will be going. Plastics in the ocean and ocean health, that's something that comes up or has come up a few times in the podcasts I've done with different people. And I, I gotta be, I've done a few beach cleanups with a local group called clean ocean access. And I usually walk away feeling thoroughly depressed, not empowered. Like I just helped do something. Do you think that those things help spread awareness? It helps because awareness is the key. Uh, even yeah. when it comes to recycling, we've had recycling around for decades and we're not good at it. Mm. So when we do the beach cleanup, it's showing this is our garbage. This is where it's ending up. What can you do to your ways to try changing them to be more eco-friendly? Mm-hmm. So uh, I do push for beach cleanups, but I also just try pushing for people to change their habits mm. and try getting away from the single-use society. Yeah. And I'm joining an expedition, expedition around the world with Emily Penn in October where it's going to be a 70-foot sailing vessel, and we're going to do microplastics and ocean toxins research. Right. And I'm joining their first leg from the UK to the Azores. So Wow. That'll be exciting. When is that in the fall? In October. Oh, right. Where, where are you leaving from in the UK? I believe Plymouth. Plymouth, yeah. What's that expedition called? Expedition with two, X, two X's. Ah, right. <laughs> Yeah, a plastics, a lot of people, when, when you talk about it at first, they think of the plastic bag and the tree or the balloon or the straw. But what you're talking about are really when it breaks down to a, and it reaches a, like a micro stage and then it doesn't go any further. Correct. Yeah. And that, that poses a real problem for... We don't even know the extent of the damage from plastic. I always remember when we were, I was younger, they told us to switch to plastic bags. That's going to save the trees. Mm. And then now we found out the repercussions of the plastic bags. Right. So it all ends up somewhere. I found a couple of YouTube videos that you, it looks like you speak to school children. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I go to schools and social groups mm-hmm. and I'll give lectures on ocean science and exploration, uh, also including the polar regions. Mm-hmm. I've worked with Exploring by the Seat of Your Pants, uh, Reach the World, and Nepris. I always get that last name wrong. And Um, what kind of groups are these? Those are online organizations that reach out to classrooms, so it'll be a telepresence. Oh, I see. Yeah, one of them that looked like I had a moderator. Yeah. Yeah. And then those are, I'm able to reach people in different countries or different regions. 
And then I also do school lectures and uh, talks to social groups local in the area. Mm-hmm. And I've point or I created scientists or superheroes too as a student resource to help supplement my lectures because mm-hmm. I constantly got a lot of the same questions when I was going to the schools and just as an instructor I also teach snowboarding and scuba diving and I'm seeing kids are losing their critical thinking skills I'm seeing they're losing their mobility and dexterity and it's becoming a huge problem and less and less kids are doing sports mm. But especially in a lot of STEM careers, it's important to do sports or any sort of physical activity to get out and explore the outdoors. Because if the kids keep living in these screens, they're missing what is out in the world. Right. So that was the goal with Scientists or Superheroes too. And then I did one for lifelong learners called Eco Elders, trying to connect generations because uh, I've always had a lot of elderly friends and able to talk to anybody of any gen, uh, any age. Mm. And I found out rec- not so recently, but I've seen a lot of my elderly friends aren't having the same connection as they did with their children. It's harder to reach out to their grandchildren. Mm. So trying to incorporate ways to help connect the dots and get them back together. Yeah, I had a customer a few years ago who we sold this beautiful little dyer sailing dinghy for him. He had had it all kitted out for his granddaughter, and um, she went out in it once and wasn't interested and went right back to facing screen, as you described. And um, he was a, I think he was a quite decorated retired Navy captain, and he was really bummed about Aww. that, you know, that, so we, we sold the boat for him and he, he moved on. Yeah, it's really sad. And you'll see that or hear similar stories of that all the time. And it's, mm. Sad, that's something we have in world. common i snowboard too nice so i saw that and i saw that you you're very active in college and you took the your snowboarding program which was just going to northern new england and you said let's go let's go to europe yeah it's actually a lot cheaper from new england to go over to europe so we went to switzerland and we went to france for the x games all right and with the cost of flights and hotels it's like more than half the price than if we flew out to Colorado during that same time period. Yeah. Uh, because lift tickets are a lot cheaper over in Europe. Right. So. Yeah. I don't know. I, there, there are a lot of good groups. I don't know if you're familiar with a group called POW. Uh, yep. Jeremy, Jeremy Jones started it. I just want to list some of these countries that you visited. Is, yeah. <laughs> All 50 states, which is impressive. I, I've not done that. We talked about Antarctica Antarctic, remote Pacific Islands on the NOAA vessel, correct? Yep. Yeah. The Mar- was it the Marshall Islands? The Marshall, Marshall Islands. Islands. Bomb. You've been to Brazil, Argentina, Australia, Canada, Chile, Japan, Panama, Poland, Russia, and the Netherlands. How much of that was on your own versus uh, from the military or from the Coast Guards? The Coast Guard, I actually didn't leave, didn't the, leave the country. country. Yeah. A lot of it was Australia was on my own. Uh, New Zealand was through sea semester. I stopped in the Netherlands when I went to go take a course over in Germany Mm -hmm. uh, because I found out a lot of continued education courses are cheaper in Europe. Again, factoring in the price of flight and hotel and you get to go to another country, which is a double bonus. (laughs) How long did you have to stay in a hotel if you're taking a course? Uh, It's usually two weeks. Oh, okay. Some courses, they'll have you stay at the university or some they'll provide lodging. 
So when I went to Greece for a paleo landscape uh, course, they put us up in a hotel, which was really nice. And that was through University of Geneva. So I think that's how come they paid for the hotel because it was in Greece. Wow. Yeah, playing with a layover time is a really good way to travel and explore. So I learned some lessons from you. All I seem to do is go back. and Well, I haven't been back in 11 years. But when I go back, when my wife goes back, she gets to go back once a year <laughs> to the UK to visit her, her family. Yeah, I was laughing. I haven't been to the UK since I was a really little kid when we went to Ireland. Mm. And I'll be there three times this year. Right. So I'm doing the transatlantic, the fastnet race, and then going back to start for expedition around the world. You're doing the fastnet. Yep. Have you have you read the book Fastnet Force Ten? I have not, but everybody's been telling me yeah. I need to read it. So I'm going to get the book for the transatlantic. I read it in a I read it long time ago, and I just uh, a friend gave it to me. He sent it to me, and I thought, well, this is timely because uh, my uh, the woman I interviewed a little while ago was a reporter for the New York Times, and she covered it. I said, you're not going to believe this, but this book just arrived on my doorstep. So I had, having not read it in 35 years, I've, I've got to go back and read it. It's sitting on, I'm going to read it this weekend. So how often do you get up snowboarding? Uh, I'm actually an instructor. Yep. I've taught, what do you teach? I've taught at Thunder Ridge in New York, Breckenridge in Colorado, Sugarloaf up in Maine. I taught at Yagu yep. uh, for the past nine years, but then this year I went up to Wachusett to start teaching. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of work developing the children's programs. Mm. So we'll start kids on boards as long as they're potty trained. So like three <laughs> years old. Yeah, you don't, you're, that doesn't extend to your job description. Yeah, I'll, I'll pass them off yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, I made it to Breckenridge for the first time two years ago. And nice. uh, I'd never been up there. Yeah, the first time I went to Breckenridge, I went for a concert. All my friends that worked at Sugarloaf moved out there. So of course they were calling me to go work. And I was fine the first time. The second time I was good for the first week, yeah. but everybody that works in Breckenridge always catches something called the Breckenridge crud. So it's like a combination of pneumonia oh, and God. the flu. So I was dead. And when I got sick, that's when I got hit with the altitude sickness. So I felt like a huge fat person walking upstairs oh, out of breath after the second step. I never heard that. What's it called? The, the Breckenridge crud. Oh. So whenever you're going to a tourist location, uh, a lot of the workers, because you start working crazy hours right. and you're dealing with all the people, there's usually some weird weird thing going thing that everybody will catch when they first start working. You mentioned Block Island. That'll be something popular with the listeners of this podcast. Yeah. yeah they've, you've been to Block Island. You've probably seen me. Really? <laughs> I, uh... I haven't, I hadn't been to Block Island in a long time. And I went out there for the first time a couple of summers ago, just on the ferry, rode my bike around, took in the sights, and then I came home. But I used to sail there quite often. And I, I think I usually stayed at Payne's Dock. Uh, and I would always go like very early in the season, Memorial Day, and then late in the season. Yeah, I've been out there 16 years. I was managing the moped shop. So I'd be the one right next to the ferry. And then I've been the dock master of Ballard's Marina right behind the moped shop the past 10 years. Oh, wow. But this year, I, I finally said I retired. You're moving on from marina management. <laughs> moving on. Yeah. I'll go back to your, it's called M-E-S-E. Yep, Misi. Oh, it, you, you pronounce it that way. Yeah. 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 I've had a lot of people. It's the first uh, time I'd seen the, the term. Yeah, yeah. I coined the title because everybody would always ask me what I did. Mm. And in try and explain, I worked this job, this one, and this one, I figured a way calling it Ocean Misi, so Mariner Educator Scientist Explorer. Mm. 
So, and it's always cool being a real life explorer. It is a job. Right. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. Well, I think you're on to <laughs> something because I have a friend that has a similar background to you. I think she wound up getting a a PhD at URI in marine fisheries or something like that. She works at NOAA in Washington, D.C. now. And uh, so I don't see her that often. But when, when, I, when I do connect with her, when she came up for a meeting or something, she said she, it sounds like she sits and gets yelled at by fishermen <laughs> and who are perhaps not happy with levels set by the division she works for. Uh, I, I think it has to do with catches and, and that sort of thing. And she just sits there and calmly has to say yes and smile. And so you're probably in a better place not sharing your time between a cubicle and being yelled at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have thick skin. So even on Block Island, I was yelled at all the time, but. <laughs> over by the marina people. No, no, no. everybody knows of uh, the guy driving around on the moped with the cigarette in one hand and the coffee on the oh, other. Wow. <laughs> that was my boss. I was a fisheries observer for a while, but it was when the funding was going from government funded to industry funded. Mm. So there was no work for us. And then that's when it was just a bunch of jobs that I was taking that ended up getting canceled or postponed for extended periods of time because all the funding was changing. Mm. And then that's when I kind of strayed away to do other work or more of the part-time work uh, to fill my schedule. And then luckily I've always had Block Island, Mm. which... If you work hard and lots of hours, you make really good money. So that was able to fund my explorer passion. So that's, you see that as a means to an end. You're going in the transatlantic from Newport to Plymouth. Yep. What what boat are you going on? I'm fearless. It's a 55 foot Baltic. Mm -hmm. And what's your role or position in that? I'm still learning sailboat racing. Mm -hmm. So especially as a captain on boats, some of the rules and regulations take me a while to wrap my mind around. Right. Not just the racing rules you're talking about. The racing, oh, the racing rules. rules. Yeah. yeah, the rest. I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but sometimes I'm just like, okay, it's a race. Yeah. But I always go, I like going on as a Sioux, and it's a opportunity for me to learn yeah. the different roles and positions on the boat. And I never was into sailing as a kid, and I just started picking it up when I started doing uh, sailboat deliveries. Mm-hmm. And then my roommate, when I was living in Newport, bought a boat. So started picking it up because why not? Why not? Another You're way to go experience the water. Yeah. Yeah. I never did. I, I like sailing. I have a sailboat. I bought one to live on, but I never did. Well, I wasn't a, into the, I wasn't the racing mindset is probably good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Cause I have a lot of friends that are into sailboat racing and I was just like, all right, cool. Another party. Right. So. Yeah. In the past, you've done the Newport to Bermuda race. Yes. Yep. How many times have you done that? Uh, uh, this was the first time, oh, okay. and that was actually my first race. And so it was last year. Yep. All right. So, so it was the same boat, a lot of the same crew, and yeah. we're definitely a motley crew, but I wouldn't trade it. They're great, a bunch of guys. Uh, did you guys do well in the race? Or? Yeah. yeah, we came in third in our division. Wow, that's nice. So it's fun when you have all these carbon fiber boats and built for racing, and then here we have this yeah. older wood heavy boat it's wood there's teak and it's covered in fiberglass oh okay but it's not the full carbon fiber oh right okay you probably had a more comfortable ride 
much. <laughs> I watched some of the video that they had at the Volvo. I don't know if you went to the pavilion that they had over here. And I'm watching what these guys go through. And it is just hellacious. These yeah. things yeah. just go through the water. They're they're cruising and they're on. It's like really yeah. bad camping. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm lucky we're on a, like the RV. Yeah. Really comfortable ride. It's more posh camping. Yeah, yeah very. The glamping, that's what it oh, is. Oh, glamping, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this will be nice. For the transatlantic, we won't be uh, hot bunking or sharing bunks. Right. So I'm really excited because I'm usually the only woman on board, so it's some of the guys get really smelly. <laughs> <laughs> How big of a crew is it? Uh, uh, for the transatlantic, we're going for nine. Nine. When we did the Newport Bermuda, there was 13 of us. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a big crew. I've been to Bermuda three times. And always in the fall, late fall here, and I all but one well two two of the three I got beat up on. The the other trip <laughs> was, was fine, but it and I said yeah I'll fly. Yeah, we had the day of no wind last year uh, during the race, but it was still comfortable mm. uh, because of this uh, size and style of our boat. We took off once every it started getting choppy, so. In addition to your all your affiliations and accolades, I read that you have three congressional Connecticut congressional recognitions for environmental sciences. What does that involve, or what were they? That's when I was in high school. I was part of the Project Clear program. Mm -hmm. So it's I always forget the acronym. It's Candlewood Lake Environmental Research or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And we would be taking. Scientific data, uh, contributing to um, a lot of it was pollution, uh, especially runoff in Kendwood Lake, and then Connecticut DEP and Western Connecticut State University would take that data and publish uh, papers and reports on it. Mm. So that was a way to... And at that early age in school, in high school, you were contributing to that or yes. producing it. And that's really when we started seeing a lot of these programs pop up mm. and... Now I'm starting to see more and more, and it's really exciting because that was one of the ways to help continue my passion into the water. Mm. Since I grew up with multiple ponds on our property, then I just needed to keep finding bigger ponds. So then we started studying the lake that was practically backdoor in my small town. Right. And then now here studying now, the oceans, ocean. Yeah. There's a lot of talk nowadays with, with kids in school about these STEM or STEAM programs, depending on whose acronym. But I, I see some of these programs, and I'm they're great. They generate skills. But as someone who doesn't sit at a computer and type in code all day long, I often wonder if if that's contributing to the problem of kids staring at screens. You know, if there's got to be a way to maybe link them outside. Yeah. Yeah. I've been seeing that problem more and more. Uh, there's a couple of schools that I've had people tell me that they're actually only teaching math. And mm. there's so many important life skills that they need to bring back to high school, like shop, home ec, right. um, the cooking class. I've talked with kids nowadays. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to sew. Mm. You give them a hammer, they don't know what it is. And a lot of these basic skills that we learned, kids aren't learning anymore. Mm. Uh, something I've noticed, kids don't even know how to tie their shoes anymore. Really? So... Because everything is the pigtails or the Velcro or just oh. slip-ons. And, I mean, especially Newport's a big nautical town. Right. 
ever thinking of a kid not knowing how to tie a knot, it kind of blows your mind and it's becoming a growing problem. Wow. That's amazing. I can't believe that. Yeah, it really uh, scares me when I'm telling the kids, all right, boot up and they can't even tie their boots. And I'm like, I know they look funny. Like, I'll explain how to show them how to put your foot in the snowboarding boot, fix the liner. And they just don't know how to, they don't understand the process of putting the shoelace around the sprockets or just tying a knot in general. Wow. And it's, it's scary. These are basic skills. They're life skills. They're not going to be first picked for a crew position on a boat with that. Exactly. (laughs) Of all the places you've traveled. And there's a lot. What, what, what are your favorite? What, what would you go back to? I love Antarctica, mm-hmm. but I hate the smell. Penguins smell really bad. Really? <laughs> That's funny when I, yeah, when you, you don't get that when you watch a video online or something or on TV, you, obviously there's no smell, uh, but it's just, it, you imagining it being so cold, like when I've been up in the mountains, you don't think of it, something smelling bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're away from a penguin colony, it's mm. clean, crisp air. But when you get close to penguins, you could smell them. Uh, same thing in Arctic. You could smell the walruses before you see them. Really? But uh, they're definitely, they're definitely I, like- I like the cold. I always make the joke, my father's from Canada, so I have maple syrup in my veins, <laughs> so it keeps me warm. Yeah. And uh, there's just some of the most beautiful, like even just natural phenomena, like the northern lights. Um, We'll have the sun dogs on the horizon, so it looks like a reverse rainbow opposed to around the sun when we mm. see them down here. And then New Zealand's my favorite country. So yeah. If I could go back, or I was hoping to move there, but my mother has severe dementia, so oh. that is a check off that yeah. uh, I can't get a visa for employment or to move there. So. Mm. I I have friends who he's a uh, well, she married a doctor. And they went there for a trial period. I think it was a few months. And then he got offered a permanent position. So they immigrated there and they live in New Zealand now. And I'm jealous. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, my wife, I'm not really on Facebook, but my wife shows me pictures every now and then of the kids going to school. And it just seems, it seems like so civilized. It's this blissful, pl- of course, it's the internet. So you don't know what, you know, they're not showing you the, the boring stuff, but it, it, it looks like an absolutely beautiful place. Uh, yes, stunning, especially around Milford Sound. Mm. I remember I, whenever I do something cool, I'll add more gray hairs to my father, and I'm like, hey, Dad, like I think I'm in heaven. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, when we drove down into Milford Sound below the clouds, uh, there's a payphone. Luckily, I know how to use a payphone. Right. A rotary phone. <laughs> yeah. A yeah. Proper, yeah. And uh, called, called him and chatted just because it was stunning. Wow. Where in Argentina did you go? I was in Ushuaia for a little bit, and then we went up to Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. So it was when I was coming back from Antarctica. Right. We, uh, I extended my stay in Buenos Aires. Wow. Is that a beautiful country? Is that a beautiful area? Stunning. Yeah. But the pizza's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a huge pie. I love love plantains, so I was excited. There's a couple of places that had those. But uh, when you're out to sea for a really long time and you always want that comfort food, and you're like, okay, cool, like I'm going to try their pizza, and you just get really disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Like I knew it wasn't going to be like home, but 
This is in, I guess it was the closest thing to like a Chicago deep dish, but on the menu, they called it a New York pizza. And I was like, aw. <laughs> That's your favorite food then? No, no, that was just it what It was just was what you were craving the at the moment, right? Yeah, I'm a steak and potatoes kind of kind of girl. Yeah, every now and then, my wife's a vegetarian, and therefore, by default, I think I've become <laughs> one. But I got to tell you, sometimes I, I cheat. Yeah, <laughs> on, on the food. I, yeah, I grew up next to a beef cattle farm, so we used to rarely have chicken because we'd always have so much beef. Mm-hmm. Which I can't complain. One of the things I noticed on your website, you're it looked like you worked for a company that does underwater uh, research imaging or, or do yep. they build them? I, I looked at it quickly. They, do they build the machines? The, the, they're considered cinema class ROVs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll do videography and photography. And I did an internship with them and just recently started working with them. Oh, wow. So. Well, who, who would be their customer for a piece of equipment like that? They've been working with the National Park Service. Uh, they just did a partnership with the Titanic. Oh, wow. Uh, they have a couple of different projects. So anyways, get eyes underwater. Mm. I have a friend now who works for Electric Boat in Connecticut. Before he worked there, and probably 25 years ago or, or better, he found out about a talk that Bob Ballard was giving. And I want to say it was on the Navy base. I could be wrong. It could have been at Salve. Uh, but we attended it, and he walked through the whole process of how he found the Titanic. He was working on another project for the Navy when he discovered it, and he asked if he did that, could he then go off and do this, and they, they let him. And when he discovered he said his only regret was that he didn't claim it as as he discovered it, as, a, say, a salvage, because... It never occurred to him. He was on such, the, he was so cutting edge in what he was doing and developing the way he found it that it never occurred to him to prevent people from going and taking from it. You treat it like a proper gravesite right. as, as it is. And I think that was his, that was my big takeaway from the talk, other than the ways he, all the methods he developed. He really wished he had somehow claimed it so he could preserve it. Yeah. It's always to the extent. Because it's hard for people to go visit those kind of places, mm. obviously firsthand. But it's making sure that the proper people are the ones taking to preserve things to allow people to see what was there, relearn the history, but also doing it mm. to respect the grave. Right. So we've been seeing a lot of companies pop up and destroy wrecks and we'll be losing a lot of historical significance because they might not be doing it properly. Right. And then you'll have the companies and societies that go and do everything properly, but it's always funding's the issue. Yeah. I mentioned the Titanic, but obviously there's lots of wrecks all around the world and where that's the case. And now with new emerging technologies, it becomes in the hands of more and more people. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And people probably with not the best interests in mind on that light note. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with the idea of scientists or superheroes? I mean, I'm friends with a lot of people of different ages, and there's people that are scientists that you would never expect. And mm. then there's I have friends that are by the book, white lab coat, thick glasses. Mm. And it's always the ones that you would never expect to be in a scientific position mm. that would be a scientist. And it's also just incorporating all the other cool things they do. 
Mm. So trying to break some of the stereotypes that we've been ingrained. Mm. So kind of just came uh, on a phlegm. Yeah. Where were you in Russia? I was in Murmansk. So it's a city above the Arctic Circle. Mm. And then I was on a... So it was part of the Arctic expedition. This one was... I was expedition staff for Poseidon Expeditions on the 50 Lot Peabody. All right. So it's the Russian nuclear icebreaker. And we went from Murmansk up to Friends Joseph Land, up to the North Pole, mm. and then back. So I was supposed to go back to Russia for a polar geodesy course, but that's right when all the political turmoil happens. And I had friends. I have a lot of friends that are from... Uh, Eastern Europe mm-hmm. uh, from Block Island. And I had a lot of friends being turned down at the border and said, yeah, don't spend your money and to get uh, for a flight to get turned down at the border. So I ended up postponing going to the course. Oh, wow. But I was excited to go back just because it's beautiful over there. What brought you to Japan? Japan was another extended layover from coming back from the Okeanos Explorer. Okay. So these are all tied together on that trip. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I'm good at... Uh, being like, oh, I'm getting older. I need extra time to stretch my legs. And it's actually cheaper if you extend the layover. Right. So whenever you push to the government, because I was paying for the hotel and everything. Oh, okay. Uh, for that, because I extended. I was like, I'll pay for my hotel. It's cheaper to extend the layover. <laughs> yeah. One of my major trip dreams is to go to, dream trips, is to go to the North Island and go snowboarding yeah. in Japan. <laughs> It was almost that season. I had flip-flops and shorts because of our time in the Marshall Islands and Guam. And I was like, I should have brought a pair of pants. <laughs> but I'm used to the cold. So, but so you it travel light. Yeah. As light as I can. I was also thinking Japan's somewhat at our latitude. It should be pretty warm. And I was off by a season. <laughs> Canada, because your father's from Canada? Yeah. I've even been to all 13 provinces and territories in Canada after last summer. Wow. Was that just various trips or was mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I like road trips. And when I was a kid, well, when I first got my license, we'd throw a dart at the map and just drive there. And then even when I was younger, I have family all around. My dad's the seventh of seven, mom's seventh of eight. So I have tons of tons of relatives. Spread out. So yep. you can So drive somewhere, go visit someone. That helps. Were you involved with the surfing at URI as well? Did I read that? Yep, with the surf club. Yep. We went down to Nicaragua on a humanitarian aid trip. Ah. Uh-huh. And we went with Surfer the Cause out of Little Compton. Yep. And it was a lot of fun because they actually went out of their way to make sure we were doing what the community wanted. We didn't want to impose our views. And then we had a little bit of free time to go surfing. I have a friend slash customer who's invited me to go to Costa Rica if I can ever make it. <laughs> Yeah, when we were working with the kids uh, in Sotiava, but mm. they had an imagination that you don't see in kids in the States anymore. Really? Uh, they so? were showing us, uh, they had, uh, they were painting pictures and they were showing us our artwork from some of their time in class. Mm. And some of the things they were coming up with, it was just imagination because you know you didn't see it on a television. You wow. know they weren't text that photo. And it's something that kids are losing their creativity. They're losing that imagination because you can Google anything and just have it right at your tips. So it's taking away their ability to figure out what else is out there. I never thought of that. It's fascinating. Even um, I was doing a boat delivery from St. Martin 
to Florida and we stopped in the Bahamas. Mm. And we were fortunate enough to make friends with the locals and they brought us into the school because we were departing before they had a fundraiser for the school. Mm-hmm. And the pictures that the kids were making were unbelievable. Really? It was really cool to see. And we we're thinking, oh, maybe these this is like the high school kids. And here it's from the grade school kids. And we're like, wow, like this is amazing. What kind of pictures were they? There were pictures of creative animals. There was pictures of the ocean and sunrises, of course. Oh, beautiful. Um, there were just various landscapes that you wouldn't see mm. in the Bahamas. So there was a lot of just unique and diverse things that we were able to see. It was from my own personal headspace, but a few years ago, I basically unplugged from all social media, or it was about a year ago, I say. And I have enough to maintain what I need to for work, but I don't engage. And I try and get outside more because I thought it was just, that was making me depressed, frankly. I, maybe I, maybe it was just my age, but I, I said, you know, I'm going to try this and see if it works. And instead, I'm, when I go home, I'm going to go out for a bike ride or I'm going to go surfing or do whatever I can. And I've noticed a huge difference. Obviously, I have a, a gadget in my pocket, but when I go out to a restaurant or something and I see, all these heads, even, I mean, not just kids, adults with yeah. their heads down. And I thought, this is depressing. You know, you got to look up. You got to talk to the person across the table from you. And that was probably sort of what started me in on this little project. I listened to some really cool podcasts and I thought, there are some really great people doing fascinating things and some interesting characters in, in Newport that I've known for years and some I've never met before. And I, it would be great to sit down and talk with these people and learn about what they're doing. And it's just as much as intellectual stimulation is social stimulation, you know? So yeah. I thought that was, that was fun. Yeah. People don't like talking to strangers. And I'm like, why? You meet some of the coolest people that way. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is in a way. I never, it's almost like you don't feel safe engaging with a stranger, but on on the internet, it you know, you feel this comfort zone. and you and you and you and people people engage with each other in awful ways on the internet. And yeah, it's, they'll still say things that they would never say. They would in never person. say in person. Yeah, and you can't take it back on the internet. No, it's out there forever. <laughs> yeah, just because there's a delete button doesn't mean it's going to be deleted. But that's really fascinating that you observed about the creativity in children and you more than one location as you traveled. Um, and I wonder if there's. If that's something, does that work its way into your education? When you give the school talks, you bring that up. Yep. I always yell at the kids, get off your phones. I'm very blunt and honest with the kids. So I get to say a lot of things teachers aren't allowed to say. All right. Uh, Even when I teach, I incorporate a lot of science into my snowboarding classes and everything. And if the kid's being a little brat, I'll make them do push-ups. I'll make them run up and down the hill. That's the Coast Guard in you, right? That's just me in general. (laughs) And uh, I tell them to get over it. Yeah. And they're looking at me like, what did you just say? And I'm like, get over it. Like, you're a kid. You shouldn't be worried about this or you shouldn't be talking about this. Like, why is this controlling your life right now? Mm. You're a kid. Um, Get outside. And that was another push of the scientists or superheroes is go outside, go and explore things. Because if they don't go outside, they're not going to have the appreciation for our planet and Mm. they're not going to know why they should change their habits to try being more eco-friendly. How do you integrate the science with the snowboarding? Talk about the physics of it. 
A little bit of that. I'll do a lot about the types of snow, mm. um, how our climate's changing. Really, whatever. If I can catch the kids' attention on anything, that's how I'll try and bring it up. Mm. Uh, even if it's something that I don't know a lot about, I'll bring up experiences to be able to draw them and to maybe inspire them to continue with an idea they had. Mm. So they take that forward and... and Yep. And often that's all it takes is some spark. You read about people who are great scientists or great in any field. And then it, there was something that happened early in their life. And that was that got them on the path and, and kept them focused. And the best is a lot of, you won't see it as much with the kids in the States, but when you go to other countries, you'll, they'll ask you questions that mm. will make you change your perspective that I didn't think about it this way, but that way makes a lot more sense. Right. And that's why I'm, I encourage a lot of the kids that I work with ask questions. A lot of them are scared of having no, they don't like that word at all. Right. And I'm like, well, no, you better get over it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> and, uh. It's a building block. They need to not always have everything just given to them. They need to earn it for themselves. Mm. And that includes following your passion. You can't just be given the opportunities. You need to earn it. Mm. So they actually appreciate it. And I imagine with what you've achieved in education, that's an inspiration to some folks, to, to, yeah. to children. You know? Telling kids you could go to school to be a pirate. They are like, what? Really? Is that how you, <laughs> is that how you pitch it as a pirate? Yeah. Yeah, I get to go out and explore and take the wealth of knowledge that I've learned and share it with the rest of the planet. And I suppose you're redefining, at least in my eyes, and probably for them as well, what the meaning of the word pirate is. Because, you know, you say pirate, probably now a lot of people picture Johnny Depp and that role. But as comical as it is, that's not, you know, in, in the old days, a pirate was just yeah, a buccaneer. A buccaneer. Yeah, and I've been yelled at. Some people brought up the Somali pirates, and I'm like, really? You have to be that literal? It's supposed to be fun and uplifting. Mm. <laughs> so you'll get it at both angles, too. One of the things on your website, you're raising money to do an expedition? Yes, right? for Expedition Around the World. So That's I the just... one with the two X's? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, I just actually broke over $5,000, so more than half my goal oh, good. this past weekend. So uh, I have a GoFundMe. So it's GoFundMe at Breezy Seas RTW. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing a lot of extra lectures, trying to get to raise money and awareness and reaching out just because I'd love to front the bill as much as I can. But expeditions are expensive to put on. Right. Put on it. Yeah, you don't want to put that on a credit card. Yeah, <laughs> I will anyway, but. <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about? Uh, what was your, your involved stream to see? Yeah, they're um, an eco-friendly um, mineral sunscreen. Mm. Uh, they're one of, I'm one of their ambassadors and I really like them because I'm actually allergic to sunblock. So if I put it on, I'll burn. Mm. And of course, all the damage that sunblocks do to the environment, uh, people don't realize it. It's, I think I just read the statistic, one drop of the chemical in sunblock will be able to kill out a reef. Are worth of six Olympic swimming pools. Wow. And it's just doing uh, horrible damage to the environment, mm. especially the more and more people are entering the water. So it's a great uh, reef-friendly product, and I have a lot of hair, so I'm really <laughs> excited that I get discounts now on their hair products, and it's, again, 
environmentally friendly when I'm not having to worry about the chemicals um, washing out into the sea doing damage. You know, when you say ambassador, that's not like these social media influencers. You're actually more directly involved with the company. Correct. Yeah. So I'll get product. I actually made a commercial or infographic on how to properly put on mineral sunscreen because a lot of people don't actually know how to put it on. Mm. They'll think it's the same as regular sunblock and they'll put a huge glop in their hand and cover themselves and they end up looking like a ghost. Right. So I was actually during Halloween and I made it when I was doing a internship program up in Alaska. So here I have like horrible internet trying to send them my footage, but I did. Uh, Is it a video or just a. It's a video. Yeah. It's on my website and uh, it's on their website too, but it's really funny because I'm like dressed like a clown. I'm dressed like a vampire and I'm like, no, this is not how much product you use. You only use like the size of a dime. Right. And you spread it over your face and you pat it on. Now, are you also involved with Save the Bay? I did a couple of dives with them Mm. and then trying to get more involved, but a lot of it's time consuming Mm. or or timing, I should say. But I helped with, it wasn't the eelgrass, it was the scallop trap. Uh Uh-huh. Are those the ones over by uh, Dutch Island? No. This one. I think that's a commercial venture, that is. Yeah, no, this was in the Salt Pond in Narragansett Bay. Oh, okay, Great Salt Pond. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, my first, the first podcast, I started close to home and with a friend, <laughs> um, Eric, Captain Eric, and he he and I crewed together on other boats. I crewed for him, I should say, and uh, he's their head captain for all the, the fleet of boats that they run. It, and they're, they're a big outreach program. They take the kids out on the SEAL watches and... Um, they have a lot of educational programs. They they run the swim. Yeah. They swim. Yeah, they have their big uh, aquarium out on uh, Middletown. Oh, at First Beach? Is it the one yep. at First Beach? I think it's First. I always get the numbers confused. Yeah, I think it doesn't it's... matter how long I've been well, here. Well, I, I think it's First Beach <laughs> because Hurricane Irene, he set up all these battery packs as backups. So when the power went out, the aquariums would keep uh, circulating. And he called me up and said, I need to get back down there because I, I, he assumed, they knew we knew they lost power. And he said, I only, I only have so much battery life. <laughs> so I called um, a friend who was a police officer and they weren't letting anyone go down there. And he said, you can go down, but you can't take a car down or something. So we, we left the car up on the hill and we walked down. Oh, man. And all the, pl- oh, this was after the storm had passed. Everything, only one pump failed, I think. Really? But and nobody died. I mean, nobody. No, no fish. <laughs> we didn't die either. But save the fish. Yeah, save the fish. Well, that's great. Well, there, um, so what's your website for folks? Breezy Seas. Breezy. Uh, so seas like the ocean. Right. Dot com. And if folks want to learn more about all the travels and more that we talked about, and all the things you're involved with, they can. Well, I did. So <laughs> you can go to that website. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I'm just impressed that you've done so much and. Every now and then you meet someone and you go, God, I've done shit with my life. Yeah. yeah. So. I've lucked out and I've met a lot of people and a lot of it was being able to talk to different generations. Right. And uh, especially just being a woman, a lot of people are like, why aren't you more of a feminist? And I'm like, because we're supposed to be working together as equals. Mm. Uh, and people get upset by that. But I started doing more uh, all female expeditions yeah. just to show we can do it. Yeah. together as a female team and then we can also work together 
trying so to... So in the scientific community, people wanted you to be a feminist to... It, it wasn't only the scientific community. Yeah. It was just a bunch of various people that I've met. And right. Especially now, even working with young boys, a lot of boys don't want to do the, the things because they know they aren't going to have the opportunities because they're not a minority. They're not a woman. Mm. They're not going to have that extra chance to step up and they kind of give up and it's sad that you're seeing it at a young age Mm. so yeah i don't know if you're familiar with her but she's she's british and she's been on a tv show called coast which they go all around coast of britain and and other shows but her name is dr alice roberts and you remind me of her because she's a scientist but she gets her hands down in there and explains things very well to people and it's it's a great i'm pretty sure it's on coast it's a great program um yeah, I've had one of the guys that was just our superhero. Uh, on, I do Sunday superheroes for scientists or superheroes, too. I forget his last name. His name's Matt. What's but, that a uh, program that you, like a video program? or? I, I just do, I'll feature somebody in the STEM field yep. that incorporates sports into their work. And ah. he did a show for New, the New Zealand coast. Mm. Or it was the same BBC program, right. but in New Zealand. Yeah. And uh, he's an underwater archaeologist. And, of course, scuba diving's hand in hand. Yeah. If a local school or a local teacher, it could be from anywhere, they want to contact you, you're open to that. You, Absolutely. And um, I'll have to mention, I have a few teacher customers here. And I'll, nice. I'll have to mention that to them. Yeah, my husband's a teacher up in Portsmouth, so I always put the word out. Funding's always a limiting factor. Right. So uh, whenever there's a school that has extra money, I'll use that money to be able to go to another place as well. Oh, so you sort of roll it forward. I'll, I'll work. Yeah. I'll work as much as I can. Hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it's I'm already broke. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I wish I could just travel around and uh, give lectures for free, but but you got to eat. Yeah. yeah. No, I understand that. I ta- spoke at Portsmouth High. I spoke to the AARP group in Newport. Hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of groups that I've spoke to. A lot of it anywhere from New Hampshire all the way down to New Jersey is where I've been so far. Wow. And you're based, you're based in Portsmouth then because your husband. Between here and Western Connecticut because yeah. both my parents are terminally ill. Oh. So that's how come I'm geographically restricted. And that's a huge factor in trying to get full-time work because schools like students and postdocs because mm. they're cheap. So if you have any sort of uh, time certifications mm. with the ambition of going back to school to continue following uh, furthering your degrees. Mm. Uh, they don't want you. <laughs> so yeah, you would think Southern New England, especially with how many high ranking, especially ocean exploration universities we have. Yeah, I uh, would be the other way around. But mm. well, thank you again. No problem. Thank you for listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.